Before we take our seats, we are just going to take a well-known hymn. Uh, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? And I'll ask Brother Matthew and the choir to help us uh, take this song.
together as a body of Christ, God will minister unto us. That even as we read from his word and try to understand, God will open out the truth to us. And Father God, we just commit this time into your care, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you will minister unto us, Lord, Father. You will speak to each one of us, Lord. To our needs, you will meet us, Lord, Father. And Father God, where there are answers that are required, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will give us those answers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our seats, please. Now let me reveal to you a little sports knowledge that I have. I get little opportunity to speak about sports, but when I do, let me at least make use of it. You see, when Roger Federer, you know who he is? Yeah, okay, I hope so. When Roger Federer serves the ball and the referee has to decide whether the ball is in or out, it is only a thin line that makes the difference. If it's in, it's victory for Roger Federer. If it's out, it's a loss for Roger Federer. When Ravi Chandran Ashwin, you know who he is? Cricketer. Okay. When Ravi Chandran Ashwin bowls a ball and appeals for an LBW decision, it is in that split second of time that the umpire has to decide if that ball would have hit the stumps or not. When you drive a car and you are about to reach a crossroad, or a junction where the signal light has just started flashing green, you have a split-second decision to make a decision. You have a split-second time to make a decision. Are you going to press on that accelerator and beat that signal? Or are you going to press on the brake? Depends. Your decision is going to determine whether you have crossed that red line or not. So often, in many things in our day-to-day -day living, it is a split second or a very thin line 
that determines the difference between success and failure, between victory and defeat. Ask a student who has just got 50 and a half marks when the past mark is 50. That half mark has made the difference. Talk to somebody who's just by 0.004 seconds come forth in a race. That split second is the difference between having a bronze medal and no medal at all. So, so very often in life, it is these split seconds, these instant decisions that we have to take, those fine, thin lines that we have to either cross or not cross, that makes a difference between success and victory, between defeat and failure. But look what happens with God. His wins are never like this. God's wins are never so close. God's wins are always clear-cut. He always wins by the mile. There is never any doubt when God decides to win. And he always decides to win. Let me give you some examples. God led the Israelites out of Egypt. He made them cross the Red Sea on a dry path of ground. And immediately after that, when the army of Egypt followed, he decimated every one of them. Not one of that Egyptian army crossed over with the Israelites. Not one of the Israelites was lost on this side. You see, that's God's victory. He obliterated the Egyptians completely. It was not victory by the skin of his teeth. It was victory by the mile. When God collapsed the walls of Jericho, he completely destroyed everything that was there. He said the walls need to fall down and that's it. There was no mistaking who was the victor at that point. When God decided to use Elijah to bring down fire, he decimated the god Baal and all those prophets of Baal. Nobody who was left standing there was left in any doubt as who was the real God. There was no place to think that there is somebody close. God's victories are like that. When God decided to defeat the Philistines, he called a man called David and said, go knock that guy Goliath. Whose victory was that? It was God's. Was David at any point 
in fear of losing that battle? Never. He just did what he had to do. God won the battle. The Philistines ran. They dis- disappeared after that. And they were slaughtered. So when God wins victories, his victories leave no one in doubt as to who is the real victor. But let's remember this. Defeating enemies is not a big thing with God. He can do it anytime. He can do it anywhere. He can do it either by himself or he can choose, choose anyone. He can call any one of us. Somebody or the other, he'll say, come on, I just want you to do this. And there is always victory on the other side. None of these battles is ever too difficult for the Lord. None of them ever stresses him out. None of them tires him out. Nowhere in the Bible is it written that after this victory, God was tired. God had to go to the spa. God had to take a break. Nothing. Because these were not stressful to him at all. They did not weary him at all. But then you realize that there is one thing that wearies God. There is a thing that actually wearies God. Now let's find out what that is. So will you turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, and we will read verses 14 to 25. Isaiah chapter 43, 14 to 25. And I shall read it from the New King James Version. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for the burnt offering, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have bought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I 
even I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. So now, these are the verses that we are going to be elaborating on over the next 20 minutes or so. What do these verses tell us? Let's take them in four parts. Number one, Isaiah 43 verses 14 to 17. This is an example of God's past deeds in the life of the Israelites. Especially from verse 16 where he says, Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea. That's what he did for the Israelites. A path through the mighty waters. Who brings forth the chariot and the horse. That's the Egyptians. The army and the power. They shall lie down together and they shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. You see, at the time that Isaiah wrote this and made this prophecy, Babylon, which is there in verse 14, was actually an up-and-coming world power. In 70 years, they would capture Israel and they would take them captives. They would soon be a world-dominating power. And in this situation... God was assuring the Israelites. He was telling them that things are fine. Now how are they going to believe this God? Here is Babylon. They are sworn enemies and that nation is becoming stronger and stronger. And there are enough prophecies to say that Babylon was going to take, was going to take Israel captive. So what was the assurance for Israel at that point of time? God said, just remember what I did for you. Can't you remember what happened when we crossed the Red Sea? When we came to the edge of the water and the army of Egypt was behind you and the water was in front of you and you cried out to me. Can't you remember that day? I opened out a path for you. I said I would do it. I led you through that path. The army followed you. You were in fear. The army followed you. But not one of them came onto the dry land on the other side. Haven't I done this for you? He was just telling them this. All they had to do was to remember what God had done for them. And then to remember that anything in the future, don't worry. I've done it in the past, I'll do it in the future. That was what God was telling them. So what's the message for us today? God is simply reassuring us. That our future is in his mighty and capable hands. How often have we testified in the past of all that God has done for us? Has, have we ever been let down by God? Hasn't he healed us? Hasn't he restored us? Hasn't he given us our jobs? Hasn't he given us everything that we have wanted? And that's our history. When we look back at what God has done, every one of us, we could look back and say, yes, yesterday, last week, the week before, the year before, 10 years earlier, God did this for me. And that's the assurance we have for the future. Our future is in God's mighty and capable hands. Things may not always look good, but remember, God has never let us down. Man lets us down. God never does. 
All we need to do is keep trusting him. For our tomorrows, keep trusting him. Because he's done it in the past. He's doing it today. And he's going to be doing it tomorrow. Number two. Isaiah 43, 18 to 21. This is God's promise to us about a better tomorrow. And not to dwell on our past. 18 onwards, it says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is what God is telling us. You see, at the time of Isaiah's writing these words to Israel, they were in desperate situation. They were, in, in, they were mired in, in, in a desperate circumstance of being in captivity and in exile. God wanted them to put their eyes on the new work that he was going to do in their midst. And he reminds them, don't look at your former things. Now this is a little ironical at this point. And it is fascinating. And it is instructive. The switch between Isaiah 43, 16, 17 and verse 18. In 16, 17 he says, Look at all that I have done for you in the past. And in verse 18 he says, Don't remember the things of the past. How does that match? Okay, it's a very simple thing. In 16, 17... God is simply telling the Israelites, look at the great things that God has done for you. And in verse 18, he says, don't look at your frustrations and failures of the past. Don't dwell on them. That's history. Look at what God has done for you. So there is a time when we need to look back and appreciate what God has done for us. And there is a time when we don't look back to think of all our failures and our frustrations and everything that we have attempted which hasn't succeeded. Forget about it. Our life is not about our past. Our life is about our future. But we need to remember that we have a God who's done it in our own past. It's not just in the past. It's not just in the life of Israel. He's done it in our own lives. Just remember your own lives. And think about the testimonies that you have made either from this very pulpit or at some other place or time where you have said, God did this for me. I was in the miry clay who picked me up. It was God. So we need to be able to remember the great things that God has done and forget about our own discouragements and defeats and failures of the past. That is not something that we need to dwell on. You see, often when God makes a promise, we worry about the details or the obstacles for the fulfillment of that promise. God simply tells us, don't worry about it all. I will even make a road in the desert. Where waters cannot flow, I will make them flow. Where trees cannot grow, I'll make them grow. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? So what's the problem in your life today? Is it too difficult for the Lord to solve it? All we need to do is trust God. Look at God and say, God, 
I surrender myself to you. You have done it in the past. I don't know about the future. All I know is I trust you. You take care of my future. Don't dwell on your past failures or mistakes. Let's not brood on our past experiences, especially our negative ones. Just look forward. If at all you have to look back into something else, look back at what God has done, because that is positive. Don't look back on our own failings. Just look forward. And as we do that, remember to do what is said in verse 21. What does it say in verse 21? It says, they shall declare my praise. So our job is to praise the Lord at all times. Circumstances should not determine whether we praise the Lord or not. Let's not be people who are hypocritical. Praising him when things go well and not praising him when things don't go well. The Bible simply tells us, praise the Lord at all times. Circumstances, situations, environment, job issues, family issues, health issues, God will deal with that. What do we need to do? You can't deal with it. If you could deal with it, you would have done it already. If you could have healed yourself, you would have done it. If you could have solved your visa problem, you would have done it. If you, had, if you could have solved your promotion issue, you would have done it. The issue is you can't. I can't. None of us can. Who can? Only God. So let's not brood about it. Let's just put it across to him. Let's just keep praising the Lord. That's verse 21. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. That's what God wants to hear. God wants to hear you and me praising him through thick and through thin. God never liked the murmurings of the people of Israel when they were in Egypt. God is moved by praise of people. And that is why we always start service with praise. Because praise brings the presence of God. And that's what we need to do. Praise him at all times. Number three, Isaiah 43, verses 22 to 24. This is God's warning to us that we have not done what we should do. What does it say? But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for the burnt offering, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. God is simply warning us that we have not done what he has asked us to do. And let us not think that this is a warning only to the Israelites. God has asked every one of us to do certain things. Have we done it? You don't need to tell me. I can neither promote you nor punish you. So I don't need to know it. 
But who's the one who told you? Who's the one who's given you instructions? Have you done it? Have you done what the Lord has asked you to do? The first failing of Israel at all points of time was simply that they refused to talk to God. And God says here in verse 22, But you have not called upon me, O Jacob. I am there. I am there for you. But you have not called upon me. Ask yourselves that question. Who do you call first when you run into trouble? Do you call brothers and sisters? Or do you call God first? At no point am I saying you should not ask your brothers and sisters to pray for you. But that should not be first. You get to your knees and talk to God first. God is primary. God deserves your full attention and mine. And we need to talk to God first before we talk to others and tell them, pray for me. So very often, the minute we see somebody, we say, pray for me. We haven't talked to God. At the end of the day, it is not your brother, it is not your sister who is going to answer your prayer. Your brother, sister is just as weak as you are. I am just as weak as you are. It is only God and God alone who can answer prayers. Go to him straight. He ripped that veil apart when Jesus hung on that cross. He made the way for us. He said, there is no separation now. Come to me directly. And here he says, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob. Look at the cry of God. You have not called upon me, O Jacob. And then he says, you have been weary of me. The people have become weary of God. You have become weary of me. That's verse 22. They may even have become weary and stopped doing what they should have been doing. And what's it that they should have been doing from verse 23? Offerings. They should have been bringing their sacrifices and their offering and their praise and their worship. That's what they should have been bringing to God. But in their weariness, they've even given that up. Maybe there is a coldness, a lukewarmness. Now what does this mean to us? Have we become weary of the Lord? We need to ask ourselves that question. Sometimes we regard serving and obeying the Lord as a weary thing. We feel it is such a burden to serve the Lord. It is such a difficult task to serve the Lord. Sometimes you hear people say, I just need to take a break. And you know what that means? And that essentially means you want to take a break from God. As pastor said, there is retirement in the secular job. There is no retirement in the house of God. 
And you know why you don't need to take a break from God? Because if you think that you're become, the work has become so burdensome and difficult, you are actually working at cross-purpose with what Jesus Christ said. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, what did Jesus Christ say? He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what do we say? It's so tough to serve the Lord. I need to take a break. You're getting yourself into a mess. If you're actually serving the Lord, you've got a light load. To everyone who's a worker, who's a leader in God's ministry, they're actually having a light load. Because if you give this up, the load outside in the world is much heavier. Fifteen years back, I had the privilege of being the head of department in my institute. That was something that I wanted before I came here. Because it was denied to me in India. At the place where I was working in India, it was denied to me. Stating that I was too militant a guy. Which is true. Okay, I was a bit of a fighter at that time. I've quietened down quite a bit here. Okay. So they said, since I, was a, I had that kind of a nature, I should not be the head of department. Here, they made me the head of department. Five years later, by that time, in five years, I was getting involved in the small things in church. I was a little player here. God was pulling me into the church. Pastor Busola, Pastor Abraham were drawing me in. I would try to hide away from them, but they would pull me in. Okay? And so there came a point of time when I went and told God, I said, I'm finding it too difficult. Okay? I'm not able to do justice in both places, my job as well as here. And clearly, my intention was I would be relieved of some things in church. God very promptly relieved me of my headship. Okay? Don't try to second guess God. I've learned that. Okay. God said, fine, you're finding it difficult? Give the headship to somebody else. A week later, I get a call from my dean who says that now, you know, in the process of humanization, uh, the headship has to go to a qualified Romani. That's fine. So it was a shock to me. But I know how to keep a poker face. So I did that. And my workload here increased. Okay, but this was never a burden. Then I realized that things were changing at my work spot. Communication was coming in Arabic. I had to write letters in Arabic, which means I can't read or write Arabic. I have to depend on somebody else to write out something, type out something, bring it to my table, and then I have to sign it and send it. Now, I was not sure whether I was signing my own resignation letter. <laughs> so, you see, I was, I was under stress. But what does Jesus say? His yoke is light. He will give you rest. 
all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me. That's what Jesus is saying. So when we say, I find it too tough, I need to take a break, you are at working at cross purposes. You haven't understood what Jesus Christ is simply saying. Jesus Christ is saying you actually get more rest if you are with me. And that is a fact of the matter. Okay? But then we also need to look at something else here. In verse 24, the second part, God says, But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. God never complained when he had to create the earth out of nothing. God never murmured when he had to mobilize all the Jews and the Israelites and get them out of Egypt and provide for them daily food and shelter and to make sure that their shoes were not worn out for 40 years and their clothing could last for 40 years. He never murmured about that. He never complained about that. He never said that it was a tough task. He did not waver for a moment when Jesus Christ hung on that cross and the nails were being pierced into his hands. God never wearied at that point. He never said, that's a mistake. He never felt, I should have tried plan B. See, with everything that God has done, He's never felt bad about it. But here he says, you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. That's the one thing that wearies God. Our sinful nature. The sin in us. Now, I am not going to ask you whether you're born again or not. Because even if you're born again, you can make mistakes, you can sin, you can disobey God daily. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. We need to introspect every day. Have I been right in the sight of God today? Has my conversation been correct? Have my thoughts been pure? Have my intentions been godly? We can't afford to weary God. Turn to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. That's the only thing, sin is the only thing that wearies God. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man of the earth. The Lord was sorry that he had made man of the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. 
both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. Situations have never got under the skin of God. Man has got under the skin of God. It is not recorded in the Bible that the devil has wearied God. The devil has stood against God. The devil has done everything against God, but God has never been, has never been wearied by the devil. God has never been burdened by the devil. He's given him his punishment. That's it. Done with. God is wearied by our sinful nature. If God deals with us as he has dealt with the devil, forget it. You and I are bound for hellfire. That's it. But God is patient. God is loving. God is merciful. God is graceful. God is so good to us that we are taking him for a ride. We are playing about with him. What sin have you and I burdened the Lord today? I want us to just think about it for a moment. Is it the sin of laziness? Is it the sin of pride? Is it the sin of anger? Is it the sin of gossip? Is it the sin of a casual attitude to God and his word? Is it the sin of disobedience? Is it the sin of gluttony? Is it the sin of arrogance? Is it the sin... The list is endless. You can think of what you have done today. Because if we have done something that is not right in the sight of God, we have wearied God. Of course, the good news is that we don't have to remain trapped in our sinful state. We don't have to continue wearying the Lord. All we need to do is ask him to cleanse us of our sins. And that is why we, song, we sang that song a short while back. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamp. Okay, that is so important. If we really want to please God, we need to be able to truthfully answer that one question. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamp? And so we come to the last verse for tonight which gives us an assurance of God's mercy to his people. Verse 25, Isaiah 43, verse 25. It's gr God's greatest promise to us that he will not hold our sin against us. It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That is God telling us. He will not remember our sins. 
This is what God told the Israelites that day. He will forgive them at the earliest opportunity. He will forget their sins. Despite all the sin and disregard for God, he still loves his people. He longs for their return. God even assures his people, and today we are his people. God assures us, I will not remember your sins. So how can God forget? By simply choosing to not remember. Remembering and recalling go together. When we tell somebody, I've forgotten, and then we recall that episode, you are not, you are remembering. God chooses to not remember. Wipe it away. Unlike you and me, I can categorize from the age that I remember all the guys who did things against me. The first guy I remember who did something against me was my barber when I was a three-year-old boy. <laughs> Intentionally or not, he snipped a bit of my ear. Okay. Why do I remember it? Why do I ever have to remember it? God says, do not remember it. I will not remember it. Okay, that's what it's... Is, that's what God is all about. And he had to pay a price for this. You see, we all know that story, so let's not go into it. It's something that we have just seen over the last two weeks. What Jesus Christ did for us when he hung on that cross in order to pay that price so that our sins will be forgotten. Okay, so that God will forget our sins. He will forgive us and forget So what does this finally mean? We have a God. Forget. But in this crucial link, and that is verse 25, which is, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. For God to activate verse 25, you and I need to activate verse 22. And what is verse 22? But you have not called upon me, O Jacob. We have to activate that. We have to call on the Lord. Because if we call on the Lord... The Lord will forgive and forget. So let's remember, there is a link between 22 and 25. For 25 to be activated, for verse 25 to be activated, we need to activate. God activates verse 25, but we need to activate verse 22. Call on the Lord. So why do we need to struggle with our battles? We serve a big God who's used to big blowout winds. God is not one who, who wins squeakily. His wins are big blowout wins. The runner-up is not even in the picture. So let's turn our lives to God. 
let's turn over completely to God, surrender ourselves to Him. Why can't we just live according to the Word? Why can't we experience blowout winds in our own lives? Why can't we all stand and say every moment, circumstances don't matter to me. My God gives me victory. I am a victor because my God gives me the victory. My victory is not dependent on X, on Y. It's not dependent on economy. It is not dependent on oil sales. It is not dependent on anything except God. If we can get into that kind of a situation, all we will have every day is decisive victories. Clear victories every moment. I don't know what your battles are tonight. Each of you will have different battles. I have my own. So I really can't talk about your battles. But in a few moments, some of you may choose to come forward and to pray with men of God. But let me tell you this. Before you ask for better health or for a larger salary or for a quicker promotion or for a restoration of a job, ask God to cleanse you of your daily sins. This is the one battle that the devil doesn't want you and me to win. But in reality, this is the only battle we need to win. Because everything else will follow once this battle is won. Once we have asked God to cleanse us of all sin, that's a battle won. And once that is done, every other victory will automatically follow. You don't have to worry about that. We'll now take a moment to just submit ourselves to the Lord. Tell him of our sins and iniquities that have wearied us this day. This is your choice and this is between you and God. And if there is anyone here who needs God to forgive and forget your sins, please take this time to repent and submit to God. This is for everyone. But it's between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But out of your own honesty and sincerity and trust in God, if you remember somewhere where you haven't been right, talk to God. Just talk to him. God has said, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob. Call on him. Call on him. Tell him your state. Tell him your frustrations. Tell him where you need to change. Tell him those areas that you find difficult in your life that you can't change by yourself. Let God do the cleansing. Let the blood of Jesus wash out all those crimson spots and make you white as snow. All we need to do is talk to God. Church, just talk to God.
In Jesus' name, amen. If there is still someone here who wishes to come forward and to pray in unity with the servant of God, please do come forward. If you do have any particular personal prayer point that you'd like to pray over with a man of God, please do come forward. And as you come forward, may I request the ushers to please help out. This is your time. So if anybody wants to come forward, please do come forward and take a few short time to pray with you. No one has a prayer need today. All the following brothers to please come forward, please. Brother Uche, Brother Joel, Brother Shashi, Brother Segun, Brother Norbert, Brother Pradeep. Brother Furtado, if you're here. Church, be in an attitude of prayer. Continue talking to God. Continue committing this time into the Lord's hands. And ask yourself this question, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? And are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Great is your grace. 
let's begin to appreciate the Lord for what he has done in our lives tonight. My hope is in you alone. Thank you, Lord. My hope is in you alone. Somebody lift up your hands and appreciate him. Lord, my hope is in you alone. Thank you, thank you for what you have done for me tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Blessed be your name. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. You have done all things well. In Jesus' precious name. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. Whatever God has promised, God will do in your life. In the name of Jesus. I got to appreciate God again. Lord, you have promised and I believe that whatever you have promised shall come to pass in my life. I hold on to you, unto you alone. Are you declaring that, making that profession tonight? Lord, I hold on to you alone. Thank you for cleansing me through and through again. Your word has cleansed me tonight. I hold on to you because I am fully persuaded that whatever you have said, whatever you have proposed, shall come to pass. Blessed be your name in Jesus' precious name. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for reassuring us that for as long as we will cry, you will answer. We return all the glory to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your son that you have used to bless us tonight. Thank you for every brother, every leader that came on the prayer line. Thank you for your grace, for the fresh anointing that is poured upon everyone. Thank you for grace that has enabled them to stand in the place in the gap tonight. Thank you, Lord, because all that has gone out of them shall be fully replenished in the name of Jesus. Lord, for your son, we pray that you continue to use him mightily in the days ahead. Let your word, let your light from heaven continue to shine upon his heart as he brings deeper truths unto us in the days coming. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We hold on to you. All that you have done for us tonight shall be permanent. None of our expectations shall be cut off. Everyone that came on the prayer line, we agree together by this time next month, your testimonies are sure. In the name of Jesus. As we go tonight, we go in peace and we return with testimonies. We decree that for every one of us, this year shall be our year of answered prayers. Every request that we have tabled before the Lord tonight, I agree with you, they shall turn to you for a testimony. 
In the name of Jesus, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform it. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Before we close, just to remind us, on Thursday is the vigil night. Let's make sure that we are there. By 10.30 p.m., we are starting the vigil night, and we shall be having it here as well. Amen? 10.30 p.m., Thursday, it promises to be a great time. We will pray again, and the Lord will answer. Amen? Amen? On a lighter note, we'd like to welcome Pastor Lincoln back. Amen? Into our midst. Are you clapping for Jesus? Amen. So if you'd like to find out how his family is doing, just harass him at the back. Praise God. Let's lift up our hands and share the grace in fellowship. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we shall dwell in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. As we pray, the Lord will answer us. Congratulate somebody, your prayers are answered. God bless you. Have a great week.